You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. From the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Friday, April 21st. Coming up today... The U.S. plans to limit more investment in China. We have the latest on this Bloomberg exclusive. President Biden may formally launch his re-election bid as early as next week. The SpaceX launch ends in flames, but still claims some big wins for space exploration. And more Fed officials make the case for more rate hikes. Charges against actor Alec Baldwin are dropped in a fatal onset shooting, plus is a big rent increase in the future for New York rent control departments. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead. I'm John Stash, Aaron Swartz. The Rangers with another 5-1 win at New Jersey. Another Nets loss to the Sixers. Wins for the Mets and Yankees. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast. Each morning on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Amy Morris. Here are the stories we're following today. Bloomberg News has learned President Biden plans to crack down on U.S. investment in key parts of the Chinese economy. We get more from Bloomberg Chief Asia Correspondent Stephen Engel. These new curbs would be done through executive order in the coming weeks uh, that could limit American investment in key parts of the economy, particularly some of these uh, you know, advanced uh, technologies that the fear is could end up in the hands of the Chinese military. Again, we're talking semiconductors, artificial intelligence, quantum computing. Uh, and again, it's going to focus on investments where U.S. firms play active roles in management. So that includes, of course, venture capital, private equity, those industries already feeling the chill of the U.S.-China bifurcation. Bloomberg Chief Asia correspondent Stephen Engel says the Biden administration plans to take action around the time of the G7 summit in Japan next month. Meanwhile, Nathan, President Biden is eyeing a re-election announcement as soon as next week. Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has that story. Biden's aides have planned for the possibility of making a video announcement to coincide with the anniversary of his previous campaign launch. He has time to do it, of course, but Third Way co-founder Matt Bennett says they may be feeling pressure to go now. I think they've decided that there's enough people asking questions that they have to say something. But the problem is there's no real imperative, if you're the president, to file because you've got the White House. You've got the logistical support of the White House. This, of course, could set up a Biden-Trump rematch. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. Thank you, Ed. Now let's get to the latest on the debt ceiling debate in Washington. Democratic Senator Joe 
Manchin of West Virginia is calling on the White House to, quote, negotiate now. He is praising Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy for putting out a debt limit proposal that cuts spending. We got reaction from Democratic Congressman Brendan Boyle of Pennsylvania. Obviously, Democrats are ready, willing and able to negotiate with Republicans on future spending. What we are not willing to do is to give up anything uh, in order to get Republicans to do what is their responsibility, and that is put a bill on the floor to raise the debt ceiling clean. Meanwhile, Republican Congressman Brian Donalds of Florida says the Democrats have created this impasse. When they passed the omnibus spending bill right before Christmas, they could have increased the debt ceiling at that time. They chose not to. They did not want to do it. Um, so they could have done it then. They didn't want to do it. They wanted to set up this this brinksmanship, this fight, if you will, around the debt ceiling. Congressman Donalds and Boyle were guests on Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew and Kaylee Lines. Catch the show weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio. And we now turn our attention to the space program. Engineers still trying to figure out what happened, but the explosion of Elon Musk's SpaceX Starship yesterday shows just how far he is from the moon. For the latest, we are joined by Bloomberg's John Tucker. Good morning, John. Yeah, good morning, Amy. The initial launch of the most powerful rocket in the world appeared to be picture perfect. And four minutes later, high above the hazy Texas skies, the uncrewed starship exploded. Well, this is how the SpaceX commentator described it. Starship just experienced what we call a rapid unscheduled disassembly. Well, before the explosion, a few of the 33 Raptor engines appeared to flame out. The super heavy booster was supposed to separate. That never happened. SpaceX says they exploded the rocket on purpose when it started tumbling through the sky. NASA said its goal is to use Starship to land people on the moon in 2025. But first, Starship will need to prove it can get into space in one piece. Live in New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, John, thank you. It was certainly an eventful day for Elon Musk. His wealth plunged almost $13 billion to $164 billion after Tesla's disappointing earnings. The stock dropped almost 10% yesterday. Now it's recouping some of that up 1.5% in the pre-market. The electric vehicle maker says it's boosting prices on its Model S and X vehicles in the U.S. Turning to the economy, Fed officials making the case for another rate hike. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester. I anticipate that monetary policy will need to move somewhat further into restricted territory this year. With Fed funds rate moving above 5% and the real Fed funds rate staying in positive territory for some time. Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester says while rates move higher, the Fed is monitoring the economic fallout from stresses on the banking system. Well, that recent turmoil that hit regional banks, Amy, did not rise to the level of crisis. That's according to Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. Well, I think at the end of the day, it, it, crisis is too strong a word, and words like that get used a lot. Uh, and uh, But at the end of the day, there was a, a fair amount of disruption for a few weeks there. Well, certain business models were sorted through. and But on the other hand, you could see, and we could see, the stability in the other business models. Bank of America's Brian Moynihan spoke in an interview with Bloomberg's David Weston. And a developing story out of Europe this morning. UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak's deputy, Dominic Robb, has quit his post. The resignation comes after an independent investigation criticized Robb's behavior toward civil servants. This is Bloomberg. 
Currently 53 degrees in New York. We'll have a mix of sun and clouds today. Highs in the upper 60s, getting down to the mid-50s tonight. Time now to take a look at some of the other stories making news in New York and around the world with Bloomberg's Michael Barr. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. Attorneys for actor Alec Baldwin say New Mexico prosecutors are dropping the involuntary manslaughter charge against the movie star while rehearsing for the film Rust. In 2021, the prop gun Baldwin was holding went off killing cinematographer Elena Hutchins and injuring director Joel Souza. A few months after the shooting, Baldwin claimed to ABC's George Stephanopoulos that he never actually fired the weapon. It wasn't in the script for the trigger to be pulled. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So no. you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. The film's armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, was also charged with involuntary manslaughter and pleaded not guilty. Her pre-trial hearing is scheduled next month. The New York City Rent Guidelines Board is considering a significant rent increase. It would affect close to one million rent-stabilized apartments. Mayor Adams' appointed panel suggested an increase of almost 16% for two-year leases, which would be the largest increase in decades. It would be an 8.5% hike for one-year leases. The Supreme Court is facing a self-imposed deadline tonight to decide whether women's access to a widely used abortion pill will stay unchanged. The justices are weighing arguments allowing restrictions of a lower court involving the FDA-approved drug Mifepristone. There are allegations that the investigation into Hunter Biden is being mishandled and that President Biden's son has been getting preferential treatment. The Justice Department says that the Hunter Biden investigation is not being watered down because he's the president's son. A whistleblower from the IRS disagrees with that. Democratic Senator Richard Blumenthal was asked about the Hunter Biden case. So much today is politicized. We need to look at the facts, follow both the facts and the law, and really take seriously any allegations, but at the same time, review what is missing from those allegations as well as what's there. Senator Blumenthal of Connecticut says there is less here than meets the eye. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr. This is Bloomberg, Nathan. Thanks, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Good morning, John Stashow. Good morning, Nathan. A little deja vu in New Jersey. Rangers and Devils game two. And just like game one, the Rangers won by a 5-1 to one score in both games. Vladimir Tarasenko scored a goal. And in both games, Chris, Chris Kreider scored two with both coming on the power play. Rangers also got third period goals from Patrick Kane and Capo Caco. Surprising how easily the Rangers have taken a 2-0 series lead. We'll see what happens when the series moves across the Hudson. Game three tomorrow at the Garden. Garden, where tonight it's the Knicks and Cavs, their game three. That series tied at one. Cleveland coming off the lopsided win in game two. The Nets will face elimination tomorrow afternoon at Barclays, where Philadelphia just went up three games to none. Nets were down 12, had a 23-5 run in the third quarter to take the lead, but Philly pulled it out 102-97. Tyrese Maxey has surprisingly been the Sixers' best player in this series. He scored 25 points. Mikel Bridges led Brooklyn with 26. Devin Booker scored 45. Phoenix beat the Clippers for a 2-1 series lead. Steph Curry scored 36. Golden State over Sacramento. Kings still on a 2-1 lead. Also in San Francisco last night, the Mets made it seven of the last eight, scored five runs in the fourth inning. It was then 5-4 in the fifth. Mets pulled away, beat the Giants 9-4. Home runs for Jeff McNeil, Eduardo Escobar, and Pete Alonso with his already ninth of the season. He leads the majors. 
With so many injured starting pitchers, good thing the Mets signed Kodai Senga. He's 3-0. Max Scherzer is appealing the 10-game suspension he got for his ejection for sticky stuff. He's claimed his innocence. At the stadium, Yankees beat the Angels 9-3. A five-run first inning with Jose Trevino uh, getting a three-run double. Yanks have yet to lose a series. They start one tonight in the Bronx with Toronto. John Stash Hour, Bloomberg Sports. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Live from coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. Don't call it a crisis. That's the message from Bank of America Chief Executive Brian Moynihan, who says recent regional bank turmoil did not rise to a crisis level. In a conversation with Bloomberg's David Weston during Bloomberg's Sellside Leaders Forum in New York City, Moynihan said the deposit insurance covered by lenders did a good job of protecting consumers. He says he has no doubts that the American banking system is in good shape. Let's bring you part of that discussion. Now that we are where we are, looking back over it, uh, what do we take away from it? Was this a banking crisis? Was it a mild disruption? Was it a tremor? What was it? What is going to linger from it? Well, I think at the end of the day, a crisis is too strong a word, and words like that get used a lot. Uh, and uh, But at the end of the day, there was a, a fair amount of disruption for a few weeks there. Well, certain business models were sorted through. And But on the other hand, you could see, and we could see, the stability in the other business models, which were the way, you know, way banking is done, very granular business and stuff. And so the good news is you're seeing the earnings by you know, the broad industry come out this week. You're seeing... You know, things have have sort of played out that way, which is very specific business models because of the of unique circumstances of the last 24 months of or 36 months of massive amount of cash uh, uh, put in the system, and then rates changing caught people, and those had to be sorted out. The good news is the basic industry has reported good earnings um, across the board. Um, deposits have come down, but that's intended by the Fed taking money out of the system. It's got to come out of somewhere. Banking system is what they want to do to, you know, frankly make credit tighter and help slow down the economy. So that's gone on. But you know, look at the capital, liquidity, and the and earnings power of all these companies have been tremendous, and that, that's that's reassuring to people, and that's good news because in the end of the day, the banking system reflects the economy in America, and economies around the world, and 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 you know, you hope it's in good shape, and it is. There's no question it's good shape. How the regulators do? Uh, we were talking to them through this period of time, and they stepped in, obviously, took on the deposit insurance. And do you think they should be making changes for the future to make sure we don't go through this again? I think there there will be a time to look at the deposit insurance scheme in a rational way. It's never the time to look at any of this stuff the day after it happens because people have opinions of what happened. It never turns out to be as true as they thought. And even in the financial crisis, there are a lot of opinions about it started with Lehman. Well, that was the last 
part of it. It started in 2006 when what happened? Housing prices quit going up. And so, you know, so it took a little ra more rational thought to think through all the different things that happened. So I think, you know, the debate will be for transactional accounts, you know, should there, in, during the financial crisis, 2008, nine, I think going on for three or, three or four years, there was a guaranteed transaction account. So the individual smaller companies didn't have to be cash managers every day and figure out where the money was. And, you know, that's a, a scheme you could do. Um, there's sort of transaction money in the banking system, there's savings money in the banking system. And the savings money in the banking system is there to get rate and return. The transaction money is there to help the economy going. And the idea is you, you can ensure that more fully, and that's what they did in the financial crisis to stop people from figuring out. In the end of the day, a scheme like that would have changed the nature of what went on here because people were running around trying to figure out was there $250,000 in one um, in, a, in a small business or an entrepreneurial thing or a big company even. And so I think there'll be time to talk about that, we'll see it play out. I, it's worked pretty well. This is nice because the banking industry pays for its own heirs, and then we have a high instinct to clean it up. And so I think playing with the thought process ought to be carefully dealt with only because it's been in place since the 30s, and it's worked pretty well. Your bank and some others stepped in with First Republic to help them out with some deposits, led it, reported by Jamie Dimon. Is that something we should expect in the future? I mean, is First Republic going to need more, or will other banks need more from the other banks? I, I don't have any special insight about First Republic. Talk about why we did as an industry. It was to stabilize one of our companies and provide liquidity, because it was a liquidity question. The assets were good. This is kind of the odd thing, because if, you, if you're around, if any of you are old enough to be around in the late 80s and 90s, that is when the banking crisis spawned. People think the GFC, so-called, was a banking crisis. Actually, the issue was those companies weren't banks. So whether it was all the different companies you heard about that you know caused trouble, including they weren't banks, and they were brought in the banking system, put an umbrella around them so they could fix them. In, 08, in, in, in late 80s and early 90s, you had a highly inflationary, high interest rate environment, a commercial real estate, and that was that was a banking crisis. And and so that that's different, and it happens at a slower pace. And so you know, we were able to step in and help because that was an asset quality problem, commercial real estate, rolling real estate started in Texas and oil and all this stuff. It just ran through all the regional economies. These companies had great asset quality. It's just they had a liquidity problem, and that's why we put the deposit in, and it worked. And that was Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan speaking with Bloomberg's David Weston at Bloomberg's Sellside Leaders Forum in New York City. You can listen to the full interview on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, and on the Bloomberg Business app. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed by 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa. Play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Amy Morris. Join us again for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.